Roxy Manning. And I'm Sarah Payton. We're the hosts of the Fierce Compassion podcast. In this episode of Fierce Compassion, we talk with Marks Cassidy, a two-spirit Indigiqueer artist of Osage Ka heritage, whose music is a fusion of electronic rock and native nuances, and calls for healing by claiming our true identities. In this session, we get to hear about Marx's path as a healer and therapist, and how their discovery of the high rates of suicide among indigenous LGBTQ teens moved them to create their fourth album, Too Sacred, that is coming out this November. We get to hear Marx sing a preview of one of the songs from this album, and speak about how a near miss with a lightning strike was part of this song. We also hear Marx discuss the importance of decolonizing the narrative about two-spirit and LGBTQ identity, reclaiming ancestral belonging and ways of being. Join us to celebrate the journey from fear to love through self-compassion. We are delighted to have Marx Cassidy as our guest on today's podcast. Marx's moves between worlds, a trauma-informed licensed marriage and family therapist, a composer of lyrical folk rock transformations, and a passionate advocate for LGBTQ plus Native American youth. Influenced by family heritage and iconic artists like Bowie and Queen, Marx's forthcoming album, Too Sacred, is both a testament to resilience and a call for self-acceptance. Marks, welcome. I am so happy to have hey, you here. Oh, wait not. Thank you. Hawaii, everyone. Hello. I am Marks Cassidy. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for this opportunity. Oh, well, I've been a huge fan for, I guess it's almost 20 years since I first heard your music. So I'm so delighted to reconnect. <laughs> yeah. We were, I was singing that long and we were studying nonviolent communication together in that time lovely so i always know like these brief little bios don't always capture the essence of who you are or what's the most important thing to you so i want to ask you Mm. to share more (laughs) yeah i think um yeah it's been you know such a journey um i'm 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 coming at you from my home in tulsa oklahoma the uh the Muscogee Creek Nation, um, also original uh, uh, home place here of my own tribe, the Ka and Osage. I'm enrolled Osage with Ka heritage as well. And I also have Saponi and Susquehannock descendancy on my father's side, the others on my mother's side. And um, so that lineage and heritage, as well as being Irish and French and English and all and kind of a mutt, you know, from the European backgrounds. But I grew up right here in the Osage Nation where I was born here where my original people are from and I, and I'm deeply connected with that lineage. And, uh, as a kid, you know, um, growing up on the reservation, um, you know, I was, you know, I got, I got labeled this thing called tomboy, which for me was this fabulous way of gender expression. Like it, that people labeled my gender expression, this beautiful way that made it really easy for me <laughs> to like roll around in the dirt and wrestle cattle and ride motorcycles and also play a lot of music. I loved me. I came in singing and love music. I've always been singing and performing and expressing and hearing and listening and all these things. So, but coming out in the eighties and the height of the AIDS crisis in Oklahoma, a very conservative state, 
back in the day where, you know, they called it the gay plague. I mean, it was a horrific time in history and I was just coming into my adulthood and um, coming out in that time, you know, going from being a tomboy to being a butch trans masculine, like butch lesbian type person was like a big jump that did not Ooh. make the, <laughs> did not make the jump very well. And it was really a struggle. So I left here at a certain point, um, you know, uh, we could talk more about that, but I left in 97. By the time 1997 rolled around, I, I'd kind of come in and out of Oklahoma, but I left and I went to Boulder, Colorado into the consciousness community there. Teachers from around the world, um, incredible support for artists there. And, um, and eventually California to play music, but it led me into deeper spiritual study, including nonviolent communication, and I was working as I had gone to nursing school uh, in the height of the AIDS crisis mm -hmm. to serve my community. I dropped out of music school when I came out and went to nursing school. So, um, you know, I kind of went in and out of nursing because I really wanted to play music full time. And that's hard to do living as an artist, especially when the industry changed. We don't have CDs to sell anymore. <laughs> it's like Spotify yeah. and all that. Right. It's tough. So eventually I went back to school in California where I was playing music, but I also went back to school, grad school and studying nonviolent communication and became a trauma therapist. And I trained at Native American Health Center of San Francisco, as well as um, Indian Country Child Trauma Center at the University of Oklahoma. I did some training in trauma-focused CBT mm -hmm. and EMDR. And I've recently moved home as of last year. I moved back to Oklahoma, back to Tulsa, back to the Osage Nation where uh, you know, I'm older now. Some people even call me, starting to call me an elder. I'm getting used to that. And <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? But, um, but I'm happy. I'm, I moved back here because I'm very passionate about making a difference in my community here and coming home to this place where we still have a lot of issues. You know, we have a rejuvenated backlash and trans, you know, anti-trans well, legislation. I want to ask you about so, that because I yeah. know I was reading on, yeah. um, some of the press releases about your new album, that part of the, the album was partly a response to learning in 2020 that 33% of queer Native American LGBTQ plus youth were attempting suicide. And yes, that's not from the Trevor Project. Yeah, it was released that study, the highest wow. demographic. Um, so I'm actually curious to hear some more about, you know, you left home because the community wasn't fully accepting and now you've returned home decades later. Can you share a little bit more about like two-spirit mm -hmm. identity, what that term means and, and how you're seeing it embraced in the communities nowadays? Yes. Well, that term two-spirit did not exist until 1990. That was some of our great Canadian indigenous leaders got together and we could see, you know, upon, upon first contact with Europeans, Europeans wrote about coming here to what is now called the United States and America and these things. And they made note that um, over 130 tribes in what's now the United States had gender diverse people, same sex couples, all sorts of gender expression. And they wrote about it in a derogatory manner, mm -hmm. but they wrote about it. <laughs> so that was our clue besides oral history and words in nations such as Nadle and Winkte and in the Osage, um, it's Mihoge and Pawnee and Omaha, Mihuge. These are words, old words for um, gender diverse people um, that are still alive. But the Europeans wrote in this derogatory manner and a lot of scholars and academics were using that language to prove existence, but it was derogatory. So at a certain point, our Canadian leaders decided, hey, we can do something better. Um, and so this, 
this word two spirit in 1990 was brought into mm -hmm. the communities as another word that's a pan Indian pan tribal mm -hmm. word that many people have embraced. Other people who are indigenous and queer don't embrace that word. They like to use their own words, which is great, you know, whatever. Some people like the word indigenous queer. But the main point here is that, you know, the cleansing or um, genocide of gender diversity um, is a form of colonization. And when we decolonize through, you know, we have this movement of land back, land back manifesto saying that land, you know, returning land to native people, as well as medicine, ceremony, education, their own right to govern themselves, these types of things. People have been fighting for a long time um, from broken treaties all the way to where we are now. Um, that if we are going to have a land back manifesto, that part of that is kinship and um, relationships. And that includes the decolonization of sexuality and gender We've always existed. Gender diversity is nothing new. It's very old. And this thing that, you know, people try to say this, this stuff is new, it's made up, it's a fad, all these things, you know, yeah. people freaking out about they, them pronouns, you know. Well, gender diversity is old. The way we express it creatively is what's new. We're always evolving as humans. We're creative. I'm a creative. I love creating. We create words. We create, you know, mm. ideas and so they, them pronouns, singular use, they, them pronouns is, that's just a new way of expressing a very old thing. And that's kind of my mission as we are facing anti-trans legislation and homophobia and all the things, drag, you know, what, you can't drag, what, <laughs> drag queens, hello, you know, like everybody calm down, nothing new you going on here. You know, there's something you're saying that I just want to um, pick up on because it feels really moving to me. You talk about like the Landback Manifestos, making sure to include kinship. And I'm kind of contrasting yes. that with, you know, I love Dr. King's work, but part of the legacy, the painful legacy of his work was the way that folks who were LGBTQ+, even though they were prominent in the movement, were sidelined. And so it seems like really um, powerful that there is a really concerted effort to include support for LGBTQ+ plus people in some of the other work that's happening to endure, uh, to reinstall indigenous rights. And I'm curious, like, has that always been the case yes. or like, how did that happen? Yeah. Which part, how did, how, how did um, what happen? Was there ever like tension between like indigenous folks who are saying, no, mm. that is wrong now who actually bought into all of the colonizing stories that this was not the right way to be. And oh, <laughs> was there tension? There still mm -hmm. is tension. Uh, my tribe, the Osage, in 2017, our Congress, my grandfather was an Osage congressman, a tribal council member who helped us formulate our sovereignty and our own government. Um, and, and in 2006, we were able to pass those, you know, come into our own three-tiered government, and he was part of that. I'm very proud of that lineage. And in 2017, um, he had since passed, but the the government that got put in place through his help and leadership um we're talking about same-sex marriage. We had passed it nationally in the United States, and so it seemed clear that we should pass it as a tribe, tribal nation. But half of our Congress people said they didn't want to for various problematic reasons. The other half said they wanted to, and they finally put it to a vote of the people. And so there was this, you know, campaign for and against. It was quite, it was quite ugly, the against. You know, a lot of conservative religious Osages saying that they knew the ultimate truth of, from the Bible, 
And I had to confront a couple of people. Well, you know, I don't confront. He's NBC, <laughs> but I like to have conversations like, um, you know, that very Bible was used to um, genes- nearly genocide our people, you know, and call us all sorts of things. And it's okay if you choose to love and choose Christianity to love each other, but you cannot choose that Bible to put my legal rights as an Osage citizen outside. You know, you got to put that Bible outside the door and talk about legal rights and do that confrontation. But people got pretty gnarly about it, but we, we passed it by 52%. Um, And it kind of put me on a more forward mission. You know, we have, again, we have, we're split right down the middle in the Osage nation um, comp, which is, you know, um, comparison to the rest of the country. Yeah. You know, so there we have it. Like, yeah, we're still in, we're still in the battle. And this is why I like to remind people, native people, all people native and non-native people, legislators, anyone who will listen, gender diversity is nothing new. Yeah. It's very old. And when we uplift our LGBTQ people, what we call now LGBTQ people, two-spirit, indigiqueer, wingte, nadle, mihoge, all these words, whatever we call it, when we uplift those people, we are not just helping those people, we are uplifting all of society. And unfortunately, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, we had the DSM, the Diagnostic Journal of for psych, you know, APA, the American Psycho- Psychiatric Association, that was a disorder, homosexuality was a disorder. And so some of those great leaders of ours, you know, in, in all different kinds of movements, they, they still saw it that way until we had people's, you know, really the AIDS crisis is where we all stood. We had such great leaders who act up and all sorts of things, people coming out and coming out with, you know, as allies. And so we've had some change. And of course the changing of that as a disorder that got removed Thank in God. the 1970s. <laughs> Yes. As so, yeah, but we're. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, as you're describing this this journey, which is both incredibly personal and incredibly political, and in service of so many, um, I'm one of the things we really love to ask our guests is about self compassion and the role that it's played for them. And first thing I'd love to do is hear how you define self compassion, and then hear about how it's been for you. Yes. Self-compassion. Well, I think early in my life, the form of self-compassion that I can look back, I wouldn't name it then, but was me closing the door and going in my room and listening to, wow, you name it. Um, I started recently talking with a couple of people. My, um, I have some a, a great music industry coach who's helping me come into myself as an artist. And I started realizing how much training I did in my room as a kid. You know, I was studying piano and I was studying French horn and all sorts of things in the school system and was excelling in music. But Pat Benatar, Eurythmics, Prince, the Go-Go's, Bowie, um, Janis Joplin, the Woodstock album, you know, um, James Brown, um, uh, you know, it goes on and on the across genres. Well, I had a, I had a, a, yeah, I made money different ways or had um, in different ways that I had savings. And my mother would let me go shopping at the TGNY, which is what, you know, used to be before Walmart <laughs> in my little hometown of about 25,000 people. It was an oil refinery town. So we had oil executives there and, you know, so it was, you know, had a good education and things. And um, I would go in and just buy, I would buy just from the album cover. I didn't, we had no internet. We had no MTV. 
we're talking 1980s, you know, early 80s. I just got lucky. Those album covers on the vinyl were very important to my inf information. And then the radio, once I had a car and I was 16. And my mother's albums, you know, first it was early. It was Johnny Cash. My mother, you know, I come from cattle country. Osage Nation is rich protein grass for cattle. So my grandfather, Mark, was a cattleman. At the age of four, he's picking me up, put me in the truck and taking me to buy new boots, you know, once a year. And so um, I country music, classic country music is deep in my DNA. Hee-haw and all those singers, great singers, 70s. And then into the 80s, all those great, you know, new wave artists, especially Eurythmics. I talk about Annie Lennox at the 1984 Grammy Awards where she was in drag. And I watched that on television as a 15, 14 year old. And like to see that depiction of gender, you know, was unheard of, right? Those kinds of things. So self-compassion, I think deep going in and just immersing myself in music and training myself in music and expressing was one way. And then as I got older, um, not a lot of self-compassion, a lot of drive and work and uh, protection and survival. I nearly died as a youth, as a, as a young 19-year-old. Um, after I came out and quit, I had to drop out of music school and college. And um, the institutions and adults around me were in great fear of my expression of being gay. And they were colonized. Um, that has changed now. The people in my family have grown and learned and had help through cultural changes and teachers and people. Um, and I'm very fortunate. I, they're some of my greatest allies are my family now. Um, we were all scared back then, though. And so I was just really surviving. And I, be, I went to nursing school because we were in the AIDS crisis. And I, it felt like if I'm not going to do music, I better do something. If I'm going to stay alive, I still wasn't sure if I wanted to stay alive or not. But I, I ended up in nursing school working in the AIDS crisis as an ER nurse and beyond. And by 1995, I, the Oklahoma City bombing happened, happened, and I happened to be doing a home nursing visit downtown that day. And a police officer took me right to the building, still on fire. And so um, it wasn't really until I had some PTSD symptoms, nervous breakdown symptoms in my, in my late 20s that I knew I couldn't do these things anymore. And I left Oklahoma and I went to Boulder where I learned, I went to Naropa. Well, I didn't go to the university, but I hung out. I was playing music and, um, you know, I'd get a nursing job here and there. But I was really wanting to play music. And I started writing my own songs at that time. It was kind of like clearing trauma through me through writing through, you know, I'd take, I'd go to teachers, spiritual teachers or whatever. And then I'd take what they'd say to me and I'd write about that and my journey. And then I'd go get on stage and get on the radio and got a radio show and Boulder. That was, you know, it was great. So, but not until I would say the depth of self-compassion, I had a lot of therapists through that time say, you need to be more gentle with yourself. And I, and I started making jokes like, yeah, if I had a nickel every time a therapist told me to be nice to myself, I'd be rich by now. You know, like I was just like a very tough, strong, surviving emergency room nurse that wasn't having, you know, and I pound my guitar like Amy Ray and Anita Franco. I wanted to be like, you know, like rock and roll, man, you know, folk music making a difference kind of stuff, you know, but not until uh, really I started studying nonviolent communication on a deep level, self-compassion on a much deeper level in it with the term self-compassion actually started showing up deeply in my life. 
Well, I started noticing how NVC worked in, you know, at one point I was a nurse manager and I broke up two nurses in a fist fight in a hallway because we were living in understaffing the healthcare system was cutting budgets. We had nurses that were having to unionize and strike around the country. It was horrific. What was going on in the early nineties. Like when I graduated nursing school in 92 by the late nineties, it was, I mean, just terrible time to come into nursing. And now we have staffing laws in different States and different things in union nursing unions that did not exist in the nineties. So uh, by early two thousands, you know um, you know, so I, I had come up on NVC as a nurse manager and in some little bit, a little bit in my personal life, but um, I started using it at work and it worked. I watched whenever I would have two people in conflict and I would mediate, sometimes just yelling into the hallway, you're feeling upset because your need for respect is not met and you're feeling livid because your need for clarity and communication is not met. And people would go, they would stop fighting and they go, oh, yeah, they go, yeah, yeah, that. So I, I was like, oh, this is working. And a nurse, the owner of an agency I was working for, said, what did you just do? And I was like, that's called NBC. And she's like, I want to train you in that fully. What do we do? And I was like, there's a training. Mickey Cashton, Inbal Cashton, Bay Area. I was, in, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I went deep dive into studying. I went to hear Marshall give a training. And I chose to be in the teacher trainings out in the woods. And then they, instead of just focusing it all on being a nurse manager, suddenly I had to practice radical honesty with myself if I was going to stay at the retreat or I could run away, which I thought. <laughs> but I remember Mickey Cashton at one point sitting down with a one-on-one -one, one -on -one with me and said, you know, um, what do you need? And I was like, punishment. I need punishment for the things I've done up to this age. I was probably near 40 at that point. I was approaching it. And she said to me, okay, here's your punishment. Are you ready? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, your punishment is no punishment. And I was like, no, no, I can't take it. You know? So yeah, that was deep. You know, NBC, there's no good, bad, right, wrong. There's no good, bad, right, wrong. There's just needs met and unmet and strategies to attempt to meet those beautiful basic human needs. And if I was going to embody that and teach it and really live it, I had to learn self-compassion. And it was sweat, blood, tears, grief, crying, freaking out, running around, all sorts of things in the woods <laughs> and lots of support from my NBC community. So... Yeah, and I've been living that way ever since. I mean, I fall off the path, but I get back on. I'm callbackable, you know. <laughs> and I teach it all week long as a therapist. I love hey, teaching in DC. I, I'm remembering some of those conversations in the woods. So it's there's something so important about having someone tell us. You can't always just put it outwards. You can't always, you know, contribute to everyone else. You've got to heal yourself. And it sounds like that's what you had to do. Yeah, I want to... Yeah, it's heal you know, myself and also, you know, know learn about main, maintenance, learn about being callbackable. You know, the Cashins yeah. taught me that too. They don't practice it all the time, but you know, they they are okay with 
you calling them into right. it. And I, I, I enjoy being called, calling myself that. It sounds like it's part yeah. of being human. It's yeah. like, of course, we're going to make mistakes. Of course, we're going to like stray off the path. And yes. we want the support also of being called back. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially in this culture that we find ourselves in, in this time, in this loca, mm-hmm. in this existence. I want to like veer a little bit into your new album because I was really excited about it. Yeah. And... Tell us a little bit about the album and your vision around the contribution that you think it will make, especially to the LGBTQ plus indigenous youth. Yeah. Well, I was in COVID and, you know, I played, I've written three albums on guitar and I played a lot of guitar because I moved around a lot. But at a certain point, um, you know, I'd always wondered about piano because I was a piano major and I studied a lot of piano as a kid, but I hadn't played piano in a long time, decades. And I was in COVID and in a good, solid, wonderful partnership. And I, you know, um, went into lockdown and I was working as a therapist and enjoying it and had my full private practice going at that point. And um, I saw that statistic that out by the Trevor Project of the demographics around suicidality and LGBTQ youth, including Native youth as the highest demographic. And then I saw a grant from this fabulous nonprofit called Indian Collective. So it's N-D-N, like the letters N-D-N Collective out of South Dakota, incredible organization that funds a lot of great, you know, climate change, politics, um, activists and artists, radical imagination artists, a grant called Radical Imagination Artists. And I wrote to them and I said, hey, I want to write an album partially for my queer native kid from back in the day at Piano. And in the clubs in the 80s with synthesizer and all the things and break out of that folk world and go more into the rock electronic world. But also with native nuances, kind of like Buffy St. Marie, one of the most amazing folk singers who's come out of the folk genre and into electronic music. And she's 82 and just retired from touring. And she's just like... And she creates curriculums for like native kids and schools and first woman to breastfeed on Sesame Street on TV in the 70s. And just, I mean, Buffy St. Marie, y'all. I mean, an unsung here, a sung here, sung here in some circles, but wow. So I said, you know, in that, in that influence, you know, I'd like to write this album and make a music videos of some type around this for, my goal was if one native LGBTQ youth saw something or heard something and stayed alive and loved themselves more mission accomplished. And I didn't think I'd get the grant and they gave it to me. (laughs) And then it's been, you know, two years of full on round the clock devotion to writing, recording, um, the lyrics, the sounds, the, and now we're in the release and I made a music video. It's a community collective music video. It's out right now on YouTube. It's called how long, it's quite beautiful. I'm getting some really great responses. Indian Collective brought us to Santa Fe recently with our our cohort of radical imagination artists, and I got to sing a couple of the songs that are forthcoming. This album will be rolling out over the next several, couple of months, all the way to November 5th. We're dropping singles like the kids do these days. <laughs> I'm learning. You know, you, can't, you don't just hand people a CD anymore. You, like, drop it on the Spotify or whatever. <laughs> like... But it's nice, this journey of unfolding. And it's turned into like, you know, some ability to speak and talk about this topic. And and I've already had a mission accomplished because I've already had some people say, my kid loves mm-hmm. what you're doing or my grandmother loves what you're doing or I love what you're doing or my gay brother who's wow. native saw your video and people emailing me and I just cry. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we're at, uh, mission accomplished. Now it's all just 
gravy, whatever wow. comes, you know, and I'm hoping it's moving for people. So, yeah. I wonder if you you had mentioned before we started recording that you were really enjoying How Long. I wonder if you'd be willing to sing some of How Long for us. Yeah, well, I wrote it on, okay, I'll play it on guitar because it's hard to do this other than with guitar. It's kind of like being on the radio. But um, so the thing about this is, you know, I'm in, I'm in uh, COVID and I'm living in this house in Portland. It's got a stairwell and I would just go in the stairwell a lot and play in the stairwell. And I love Eurythmics. So this is kind of, I was listening to a lot of your old Eurythmics, Annie Lennox, just incredible. Wow. I mean, her capacity and Dave Stewart. And, um, you know, it's one of the, one of the songs that, one of the albums that kept me going back when I was young. So, um, so this song is now fully produced and you can find it on my website at markscassidy.com and on piano and synth and all the things, but this is how I wrote it, which is on guitar. So let me have this big ring on. Let me take it off. So it's like, uh, yeah. So this is about a native kid, somewhat me, somewhat stories, kid on the native reservation, having, having faced homophobia, transphobia, and having to leave because they don't feel safe and going into the city, into the clubs where it's kind of the only place you can find people. There's a lot of dysfunction going on in the clubs, a lot of lost people, a lot of substance abuse and that type of thing. But it's like the one sanctuary while this kid considers staying alive or not. And, you know, teenager, young adult. And that, um, you know, I had this own, my own, uh, experience of this as a kid. And when I was 20, I was doing a lot of risk taking. I was suicidal myself. I was one of those kids. And, uh, I was out in a thunderstorm in Oklahoma, just, you know, ah, lost. And I got struck the house I was standing next to leaning on, got struck by lightning and it knocked me into, onto my back. And I looked up at this night sky, this lightning filled night sky, which is common in Oklahoma. And, and I heard this voice that said, stop killing yourself. You're here for a reason. And so as I was reflecting on these youth, I reflected on my own youth. And then this song came wow. out. <laughs> so, <yeah. clears throat> All right. Reservation highway in the midnight hour. Flicker of the headlights. I'm losing my power. Storm clouds move across a full moonlight. Hate speech echoing eclipse my life. Watch out for the deer as you go home. Let's fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze or fall. longer can I go on my grandmother's road is all I've ever known how long how long how long thousand stars behind the neon lights thousand heartbreaks beat beat as i drive into this city at night city at night 
I miss my mother, I miss my home. Red earth hills and the thunderstorms and the heartbeat drum, heartbeat drum, heartbeat drum. In the club where the fire water flows, love is a battlefield over the rainbow, rainbow. Cigarette fog, laser lights on this dirty dance floor. I'm gonna dance, dance to save my life. One more night, save my life. One more night, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long? Can I get a witness? Can anybody see this? Numb by the genocide. Blinded by the colonizers with the thunder and the lightning. The thunder and the lightning, lightning, lightning is gonna light up, light up, light up. So rise up, child, you're here for a reason. Yeah, oh, rise up, child, you're here. You're here for a reason. Rise up, child. Rise up, child. Yeah, something like wow. that. Right? <laughs> this is the guitar version. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you shared the story about how this song came to be because、yeah. it made it even more haunting. I have chills just listening to it. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a deep journey. This album,、um, the the songs I write are always deep journeys. Sometimes I'm face planted on the floor crying, and I sit up and grab the guitar and write songs, you know. But、um, this one、uh, was definitely a return to my a healing from my younger self, and as well as I'm hearing, you know, it's helping others. So, and it was really fun to go in and bring in synthesizer in a different、um, genre. Um, it's difficult, very challenging. But and I brought in a vocal coach, Wolf Carr, in Portland, who was amazing.、He、helped me find trauma from performance and kind of like being gender queer. When I was a kid, I would I would learn, I would you know practice for recitals and stuff, and then I'd have、mm. to put on a dress and like cl- like I was in drag and go to the go to the school, the university, and the college town and get judged for what I was doing. And I had a lot of Was holding a lot of trauma from that in my voice and my body, and he helped me clear that to where I have a even more、wow. of a capacity for singing.、And、that was around gender, you know. That was around、mm-hmm. being in drag <laughs> and, and trying to play piano in front of people in a dress when I would never、oh. wear a dress, you know. Was, yeah, because、um, in this song you sing, "I can I get a witness? Can anybody see this? Numbed by the genocide, blinded by the colonized, and." And I just,、uh, I'm so struck by this, and I have this wondering, like, 
if you could get everybody to be struck by lightning, <laughs> what, <laughs> what would you want them to see? Yeah, well, just like what we kicked it off with, listen, you know, I'm on a mission around because of my own lived experience around gender diversity and same-sex marriage and, you know, uh, relationships and queerness, transness is nothing new. It is not new. It is not a fad. It is not made up. It's old. It's, it's part of our societies. It's part of our tribal societies around the world. We know it. We see it. We sense it. We know it. And, and so it's, it's racist to cleanse it. It's, it's, it's colonization. It's, um, and it's harmful to all people and all of our well-being. It's harmful to the planet. It's, it's an, it's, we're out of order with what we're doing around gender and sexuality. We're out of order. People equate homosexuality a lot with pedophilia. I hear that all the time. I, I myself coming out, you know, I was a good kid. I was a smart kid. I was a loving kid. And I came out as a young adult and there were um, extended family members who I would hear, you know, I'd go to my cousins and she had a new baby and they're like, don't let Marka hold the baby because they knew I was gay. They would equate, they were being taught in their churches, gay equals pedophilia. No, you know, when, when adult people, um, let's say adult man perpetrates on a child, you know, who is a female, we don't blame heterosexuality for that. That's just pedophilia. That's just sexual abuse. That's just, that's, but if, if it's same sex, then we, we, you know, we, all of us who are gay are fearful of this, you know, and now look at all this stuff around drag queens and, you know, it's just, it's not true. It's made up. It's what they're the ones making it up and it's problematic. It's hate filled. And right now it's being used. Yeah. As you're speaking, I'm starting to get this link between the suicide rates and genocide, the suicide rates of, of LGBTQ plus indigenous youth and a, a genocide of trans of trans and, and yes and that native people who are fundamentalist you know who are spout you know who are teaching hate native people who are teaching hate in their own way through their own fundamentalist conservatism are taking part in the genocide of their own children mm. Mm. and i don't mean that to confront or be disrespectful to any of our elders or you know you know I myself am a mixed race person. I am a white passing person and I try to use my privilege and bridge and do the best I can to uplift our BIPOC people, our identifiably native brown body, black body people. I try to use my education and my privilege to, to uplift the folks, but I sometimes have to confront folks whenever they are teaching hate and adding to the problem here, you know, of, and they, they themselves will, will equate homosexuality with think- pedophilia. Or transness, yeah, or transness with something that there's a, there's a disorder to it, you know, and it's it, that's that's wrong. One of thinking. the things that I'm really just so so glad you're doing is saying we need to confront some of this. You know, I don't hear it as I'm being confrontational yeah. in this bad way. I'm actually hearing you say someone needs to speak up for all of these kids, all of these folks who don't have a voice, who are bearing the burden and being traumatized and and being murdered. <laughs> because of this. So I don't yes. see it as a confrontation at all, but a loving calling back in. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, you know, um, we have, a, I have a lot of community members that break windows and burn things down and, you know, and troll people on social media and do all sorts of things. And I'm like, okay, mm, I understand the anger. 
I understand the anger. That's not my way. That's not my way. I try to have conversations. I try to, you know, I try to pick up the phone or I try to show up somewhere. I try to have people shine the light on me. Like, I'm like, shine the light on me right now. You know, I have a publicist. I have this grant. I have this, this um, project and I'm trying to use my, what I have, my platform and lived experience in education to open doors for others, like around visual art or other young two-spirit people. I'm like, hey, if you hear or see something I do and you think you can do it better and you're, <laughs> and you're living on the res and you're brown or black bodied or, you know, yeah, I'll do everything I can to open the doors for you as long as, you know, but, but I also roll in the way of nonviolent communication. I really try to, I understand protective use of force, but I don't, so I don't, mm, you know, I don't, I don't, I try to teach in that way that is not, um, let's punish people, but let's protect ourselves and teach and utilize our own voices and selves as a way to bridge if we can, you know, but we also have to be in protection. It's hard. That's hard to know what's the way, right? But well, this is this piece around, like trying to educate people trying to create change also reminds me of one of your songs that I love from one of your older albums. Um, Yeah, and it's burned Uh from the album songs from the well. (laughs) And one of my favorite lines in it, I can't tell you how many times I've screamed this line out loud, singing to myself is, I need to build myself a new foundation, take this facade of myself and burn it down. And I think that's that's such an important yeah. message for people that we can change, we can be different. But what do you think we need to shed in order to be more authentic, to be the change, the revolution that's needed? Yeah. I need to build myself a new foundation. Yes. Right? Um, take this facade on myself and burn that mother That's a blue song, right? So it's really fun to write that song. Um well, I will say that song came from inspiration from Marianne Williamson back in the day. I was listening to a lot of Marianne Williamson, um, where she was talking about A Course in Miracles and how all there is is love and fear. That's all that's ever happening is love and fear, and fear is an illusion, and only love is real. And she kept saying, if you, if you embody that belief that there is only love and fear, and fear is an illusion, and only love is real, you can no longer rearrange the furniture of your mind and your and your soul you have to you have to take it all down to the foundation and so i was studying her as well as um you know lots of other ways medicine ways and paths and nvc and all that and i listened to that and it and it and it didn't it i did have to have a complete identity breakdown breakthrough you know, it looked like nervous breakdowns, breakthroughs a couple, few times, you know, studying these things to embody, to truly embody them and live them. And this was around self-compassion, needs-based listening, rather than right, wrong, good, bad, you know, judgment. Um, I didn't want to give up my judgments of others. I did not want to do that. It was not safe for me to do that. Why would I give up my judgments of others and move into compassion? That did not make sense to me, but I think that's what you know, MLK and so many others have taught about, like, if you live from that consciousness, because I could use that tool, I could use nonviolent communication without living yes. in the consciousness. But I also read Marshall, Marshall Rosenberg's little pamphlet, The Spirituality of NVC. It's a consciousness, it's not just a tool. And what do you think? So what do we have a question. To, what do you think you yeah. were protecting when you said, I didn't want to mm-hmm. give up my judgments? Like, why was it important to hold on to them? That was how I was taught to protect myself. 
you are bad and wrong and I'll be over here. You have hurt me. You've gay bashed me. You have taken from me. You have told me I don't deserve to live. You have. And so I will now, you know, also just growing up in toxic masculinity and colonization and, you know, how to, how to survive. You know, we used, there was a game when I was growing up called queer, uh, smear the queer out on the, out on the wow. playground in the little elementary school I grew up in on the reservation they throw the ball in the air and whoever caught it was the queer and they were is fair game to tackle that oh, person. Goodness. That's what I grew up with. Yeah. So to come out of that, that was a form of protection yeah. was to fight, you know, but the way of spiritual warriorship for me and learning, I can still be strong and trans masculine and all my masculinity and all my, you know, all my flow and all my, all that and still be a warrior. And, but I can come out of right, wrong, good, bad thinking and, and stand in my authenticity. Nonviolent communication is not nice. Yes. It's authentic. Stand in my authenticity of my needs and what I, needs I'm trying to meet and my strategies for that. While I guess yours, even if, you know, you're being violent towards me, I will do the best I can to stay in that consciousness as I move. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm not perfect. Ask my wife. <laughs> You're human. You know, but I, I aspire and I teach, I teach and teach and teach. And I get, I hear people making changes in their relationships and in their jobs and with their families, including people who've been ostracized by their families, yeah. going back and guessing their needs for ostracizing them wow. with love and compassion wow. and then coming forth with their authenticity about their identity and healing Healing in families. That's what I wanted to ask. Do you have an example of yeah. somebody being able to have that kind of conversation and then experience a shift or healing in how they're relating to their family? Yes, all the time. I mean, I this is what I do as a therapist. I all my ninety nine percent of my clients mm -hmm. are queer and trans, and all most of them have some form of queer, you know, of mm -hmm. queer trauma trauma the trauma of being queer in this culture whether it's even if they have accepting parents they still are under you know look at the news i mean you know go to any institution like you you know and then you have the ones who are blatantly ostracized and you know harmed physically you know um so i always say you know i would never encourage anyone to empathize in the midst of abuse thank you so we have to discern first, is this abusive? Are you in physical harm or emotional mental health harm? Then I don't suggest this. But if you're in pain and suffering and miscommunication and challenge, would you like to try something with me? Would you like, let's role play it. You be your mother and I'll be you with your mother, you know, mispronouncing you <laughs> or, you know, um, saying to you, she just wishes you would Mm -hmm. date a man you know, I found this really nice boy for you you be her and I'll you know and I just did everything I learned at NBC camp mm -hmm. you know and we role play and then people go try that with their parents and it yeah. worked and it helps oh. about you know 80% of the time not always wow, wow. to reconnect mm -hmm. in that way like thank you mother I get that you are trying to meet your need for care for me right now you have great care for me mother that you know that I be in the world with connection and partnership and a family and a home. And thank you. I, I really get that, you know? Um, and I'm trying to meet my needs for authenticity. Like I, whenever I 
connect with myself, I know that my attraction is to this person I'm currently with who's same sex as me. Or I know that my identity is that of that I use they, them pronouns. And if, if you would join me in that, you know, that would be more connecting for us. Instead of going, you got my pronouns wrong. You are terrible. You're bad and wrong. You know, we go, hey, let me let you in here on something. And I get that this might be hard for you. You see me as, you know, these types of conversations, right? So let right? me ask a question, because this is a little bit of the pushback that I sometimes get when I support people in doing yeah, these great. conversations, yeah. right? They'll say like, well, why yeah. am I putting all of my energy in empathizing with the person who's been harming me and who continues to harm me? And isn't it all okay. invested in seeing me? Right. Isn't this more violence towards myself? And how do you respond to that? Well, we have, yes, that's, we have to assess that. Are you in abuse that is physically and emotionally harming you at a level which you need to be in a heavy boundary or cutoff. I don't, we have to assess that first. Sometimes just once I say those words and empathize with some people, they're able to then, you know, calm into that they're being held and known for their pain. And then they go, well, I'm not really sure, but I'm willing to try something and so it's just that. It's an experiment. It's a journey. And it takes courage. And I commend their courage, yeah. you know. And, you know, so, and then they go find out. They go get information by having the, the empathetic, taking the, yeah. taking the lead. And I tell them, I know this is labor. You are doing labor when you do this. When you step forward in an institution or in your family or with your mother or whoever, you are doing labor. However, I'm wondering if it might meet more needs for you because cutting off is a certain type of relationship that can be, that disrupts attachment. And now we're out of NVC, we're into psychotherapy world, detachment security, and these, I love to combine it all though. If you can stay attached in any way to your primary caregivers, if you can find a way by leading the way, and you know, sometimes you're parenting your parents, it's really a bummer. <laughs> but Sometimes people come out of that with a greater sense of well-being for themselves as well as their parents and whoever the institution they're in. I think, whatever. Mark's the thing, the take-home that I would oh, want our yeah. listeners to really get is something that I talk about in the books and that I'm hearing you emphasize over and over, that this is not about doing things at cost to ourselves. It's about discernment. It's about recognizing, no. is this the right moment in time, the right person for me to try this with, or it's okay to say, no, it's not. I need to keep myself safe. So I'd love that Absolutely. you've got that message so clearly. Yeah, I'm not asking people to go. Mary Williamson, back to her again. She'll be like, just because I forgave you doesn't mean it. I have. I need to have lunch with you. <laughs> you know, sometimes just the forgiveness, just, just, just having some form of connection that is very boundary. And then you go find your kinship, your like-minded people, your people who hold you and you, you securely attach with. It doesn't have to be your family mm -hmm. at all. You, you know, but to, you know, ease some of this nagging that goes on with people, like what would happen if we could somehow find a way because they seem to want to maybe, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. So we explore. That's, well, that's marvelous. So then here you are, you've got these, these folks who are starting to use nonviolent communication, maybe without even knowing what it is. They're just, yeah. they're just picking up on what you're teaching them kind of informally, which is 
such a beautiful Well, I point to that all the needs list on the website. <laughs> oh, <and everything>. that's... <laughs> like martial teachings and YouTube and anything I can get them into, you know. Yeah. yeah. So what what is this the advice that you have for folks coming up? Oh, and what advice do you have for folks coming up who want to support the Indigenous groups who are still fighting for basic rights? Yeah, I mean, wherever you are, you are, if you, you are in, wherever you are, if you're in this continent, you are on indigenous land. You are, you are on broken treaty land. Every treaty that was ever written in the United States was broken. Every single one. Go to the DC Museum, Smithsonian <laughs> Museum top floor, and you'll go see all the broken treaties. It's mind blowing. So wherever you are, there's a native, there's a native sector in your state, in your health center, you know, whatever. So you can find and donate mm-hmm. money or time, um, or places like Indian Collective, amazing nonprofits, letter N, D, N, Collective. You can go, there's a donation page. They're doing great work in the world, especially with climate change. Decolonization and land back is climate change as well. We are, you know, we're, this is vital. So places like Indian Collective, it's amazing how you can support or, you know, um, educate yourself. You don't have resources you can educate yourself you can protect you can do things like hey don't wear that mascot t-shirt around here let's have a conversation about how that might be for native people mm-hmm. but yeah especially money and resources and support and you know don't be afraid to ask questions of native mm-hmm. folks you know with respect you know people get afraid they're going to say the wrong thing and you can say that out loud i'm afraid i'm going to say the yeah. wrong thing that's okay. That's that's lovely to say that out loud. I wanted I wanted instead of just coming and going, Oh, I'm Indian too, I think maybe my grandma No. Do not do that. Do not join like that. We don't need you to join like unless you're enrolled and you know your heritage clearly. You know your descendancy. You are not native. Don't talk don't do that. Don't say my grandmother told me my grandmother was no. I'm sorry, but Yeah, thank you. Here. Thank you. Um, yeah. Now, we want everyone to go, we want everyone listening to go to bandcamp.com and listen to and purchase both your new album, Too Sacred, and your previous three albums. How can they find you? And are Yeah, there- well, it's really easy because it's Bandcamp and all the things. I have a whole team now. It's got all the things set up, everything you can imagine, YouTube and the Spotify and the Instagram and all the things. And so the place to find that is Mark's, M-A-R-X. Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-T-Y, markscassidy.com. And you can see the new music video there. It's beautiful. The new album is rolling out over the next months. It'll be on Apple and Spotify and YouTube and all the things. Um, And, you know, I'm asking for help. I need finishing funds for this album. We're going to have places on my webpage as I roll out album art and pay for the publicist and bring in a beautiful band and make sure those band members that help me release this have a living wage and you know all those things like um we're trying to do this in a really good way so it sounds good and looks good and the message gets out there to as many people as possible and i am looking for support with that at my page you can find where to donate yeah i hope everyone listening goes to the page and supports you really all the people who say Thank i want you. to give back i want to do something this is a way to both support you and this amazing work you have and yes. also support the ways that you support your community so yes correct that is very helpful if you just go to spotify and listen to my stuff you know i make point zero 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 three cents for every song you listen to it's not 
it's very hard for artists these days. So this is why funding and grants and donations are very important to, to artists, especially artists who are make, trying to do, you know, I mean, all artists, but artists, art is, art makes a difference in the world, all art. But, you know, if we're on a mission here to uplift and shine the light, I, I would enjoy your support. Oh, Marks, thank you for being with us. Thank, Thank you. you. And yeah. now I'd like to invite all of our listeners. We also want you to support our work in the world by going to our website, yeah. antiracistconversations.com. And there you'll learn how to purchase our new books, finally published. And you'll Yay. also learn about our upcoming podcast guests and new classes. And you'll also find the podcast that we have just recorded with Marks, including links to Marks on Marks's website and on uh, band camp so that you can really contribute in ways that make a difference. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.